Sean, we haven't recorded in like two weeks and we're trying to figure out how to do this again. We're doing great because as you were like, let's do it, let's start recording, I immediately start typing into the outline. So like the first sound people are going to hear are like, clickety, 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 clickety. So Wait, literally, I just lost part of the, what's going on? Oh, Did I accidentally good. delete it? Oh, because I could do that. I could accidentally drag my, I have the, I have the mind of an 82 year old uh, boomer. 82 year old, huh? I bet they love the haunting in Venice. We'll talk about that today. Boom. <laughs> That's exactly who that was targeted for. Intro, on the other baby. side. On the other side. <laughs> Everyone is part of the family at this point. It is my fan fiction idea that I had. So this movie was garbage. <laughs> you are a monster beyond all belief. Put them all in the thing and let them do the thing. You know what I mean? How? Oh, you're lucky to have me back. Yeah. <laughs> you're never gonna get 60 million people because you're not a Super Bowl. Shut up! So chaotic. Welcome to the Guy at the Movies podcast, where I am getting dragged on Twitter for a comment I made last night. I'm just seeing this. Uh, someone posted, "What's like your most unpopular uh, MCU? No, wait. Drop an MCU hot take. You're probably defending." And I said, which will, this will not surprise you. I said, Eternals is one of the best MCU films, period. And someone just, put, this is actually really funny. Someone posted this meme and said, had to wake up the kids so we could take a look at the bullshit you just posted. <laughs> That's solid. I will say, though, if you are the one getting dragged by the take, you win that competition. Like that's the one thing you got to look at is like th- there you go. Because if everyone's mad at you, then you've technically done the job of that threat. So very, you know, very happy. Like well very done, happy. I would say that's that's solid moves. Mine would be like you know my my crowdsourcing opinion would be like I liked No Way Home. Like I don't know, I don't have anything. <laughs> I don't have any crowdsourcing take. opinion. <laughs> it's like here we go, <laughs> Sean. This is episode one sixty two. We have been off for what a, two weeks here? About uh, two weeks. Yeah, you, we had uh, either Disney breaks or heartaches or you know a little bit above everything. <laughs> heartaches. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I wanted to go with a rhyme and all I got was heartaches oh my god uh You're good. This and, is good form and egg bakes i mean i, I ate some eggs in the morning uh no anyway egg so egg bakes does sound good uh this is episode 162 we're gonna dive into uh some of the stuff that we missed over the past two weeks that we haven't had the chance to talk about it is it was a little bit of a lull in terms of the uh releases that were coming out in theaters uh but we're about to hit uh, a, a busy weekend i would say with um between theaters and streaming because we have flora and sun uh on apple tv plus um the the creator hits theaters saw x hits theaters i know you're excited about paw patrol the mighty movie hitting theaters yeah um saw patrol if you will um so all of that happening this weekend but before that we did finally get a trailer for aquaman and the lost kingdom it does exist which it, i love in my visual effects um article i did mention like Aqua King, uh, aquaman and the lost kingdom and i was like but i don't think it actually exists and then like in between the time i wrote that the trailer shows up which <laughs> I'm just happy to see. well sean you are uh infamously uh a huge fan of the first one it's an absolute masterpiece and i don't even mean it ironically people definitely think i mean it ironically i absolutely adore that movie so much <laughs> what did you think about this trailer for aquaman and the lost kingdom you know, it's funny. My reaction was muted because I was like, wow, this looks dumb and this looks bad. And then I realized that's exactly how I felt about the first one when I saw mm-hmm. that trailer. So I need to curb that sort of reaction and realize that this will be just as dumb and just as silly. But if it still sort of achieves just the absolute weirdness that first one did, which I still don't know what that movie has a hold on me for. I keep on thinking about it. I'm like, you know, textbook, I should hate this movie. But for some <laughs> reason, it, I was just gravitated towards it. Call it the Toto Africa remix. Actually, no, just call it the Toto Africa remix. That's all I needed that got me into it. And um, I'm still excited for this. Obviously, there's like so much behind the scenes drama behind this. There's the fact that this character is probably getting ditched as well as like you know, <laughs> the actor and the entire world is getting ditched in a few moments um, or in a few months, whatever it is. But I'm <laughs> still looking forward to this one. I mean, it looks just as silly as the last. And I, I first of all, I'm very happy that Patrick Wilson still has a prominent role. Because yeah. he was, he, like, I, I don't like the phrase that he knew what movie he was in, but I do think, like, he was just like, you know, listen, I've done a bunch of conjurings, just let me cook. I know, <laughs> I know what stupid is, I can do this here, let me be the ocean master in peace. Yeah, I, 
would agree with you. I, I think I said that to you. I was like, the first trailer looked just as goofy and just <laughs> as crazy. Um, this is obviously very visual effects heavy, and there is a lot of drama around this because, of course, uh, with Amber Heard and her high-profile divorce from um, uh, Johnny Depp, or breakup, were they married? Yeah, divorce, no? Yeah. I, I can't remember. I don't know. Their, uh, their high-profile trial and all that. Um, she made the claims that she was cut from the movie largely. And James Wan has since come out finally and addressed it and said, no, the first one was the romance. This is the bromance uh, where he has to find uh, Patrick Wilson's character Orm uh, or he goes to him for help and they end up uh, tackling whatever the threat is, which seems to be uh, Black Manta uh, being like a badass, uh, even more yeah. of a badass than this. And I'm pumped for that because I love that character in the first one. And they're employing a lot of the trench, which probably might have to do a little bit with the fact that that movie was scrapped, which is kind Agreed. of a bummer. And I think the trench was some of the best parts of Aquaman. Like even the detractors of Aquaman have to agree that like the trench scenes were some of the best stuff, like yeah. really just great stuff. And I, that's the part that I really loved. And so like that, you know, Black Man does go into the trench. And so they're like, oh, they're doing the good hits. They're doing the stuff that people liked from the first one. And yeah, I mean, who who knows what happens with her? Like, her character was like a nothing anyway. Like, it was, it really just wasn't like the focus of it, even in the first one, and, be, and that was before any sort of controversy. So, who knows what happens here? It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a distraction, unfortunately. Which I just yeah. want to move past all of that crap and just like really focus on other things. But uh, I, um, no, I'm looking forward to this. I, I am. It, it's weird though. Willem Dafoe is in it, although he said he wasn't, <laughs> and so. This might be some AI stuff, but I heard him announce like, hey, "Yeah, I wasn't doing an another." Is he in it? I thought I saw him in the trailer. Maybe it was just a flashback, honestly. But so I was just going to bring that up because James Wan did talk about that as well, mm -hmm. and essentially, like Willem Dafoe's character is not not in it or not prominent, and the reasoning for that was so that they could take Nicole Kidman's character and make her more prominent in terms of uh, helping Aquaman, like you know, progress and figure out how to rule a kingdom. <laughs> Dude, I need to rewatch Aquaman because I actually <laughs> totally forgot Nicole Kidman's in it. <laughs> She's and good in it, too. And she kind of is selling it. Like, everyone in there just wants to be there, which you wouldn't expect out of this kind of movie. Yeah. Um, but it's so – the first one was so damn fun. And I think that's what I started to like about it because I was just like, wow, this DC movie's having fun. And it is very dumb. And I'm chuckling my whole way through. And it's not even like the so bad it's good. It's like it just kind of works. It hums at a good solid frequency for yeah. a comic book movie about Aquaman, which is a ridiculous Superman anyway. It's like a ridiculous like before this having an entire film uh, go underwater would have been a bad idea. And then James Cameron, you know, was just like, you know, hold my 12 years of a beer and just <laughs> then also does this. But I don't know. I'm still excited. Yeah, I'm very. I'm actually very excited for it because it looks fun, and that's all I want from this. Given that it's like a throwaway movie, they also <laughs> it had been in like development hell for a long time, and it was delayed yep. multiple times. It had very poor test screenings, from what the reports were saying. Um, and so I'm I'm interested to see what they did on reshoots because they apparently they went back for reshoots like multiple times on this. Um, hmm. So it's going to be interesting, but uh, I I'm, I'm all for it. I you know it looks fun. It looks like a CGI fucking uh, vomit fest, but uh, it looks fun. The, All right. Uh, mini math teacher movies will be well into the uh, game at this point. So uh, this, this will might this will probably be one I skip in theaters. But, uh, you know, whenever it shows up on Max, I'll be this. This will be great to see on the small screen alone. I'm definitely going to be more judgmental. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about uh, what we've been watching. And we need to talk about ha a haunting in Venice. Um, this is Kenneth Branagh's latest Hercule Perel movie, uh, and it is based on the Agatha Christie uh, story, was it? Or was it a full novel, but it was called like Halloween Party? It's Halloween Party, and what's very interesting is that they've changed the name on some paperbacks to I saw that. in Venice, even oh, though really? it doesn't take place in Venice in the book. So it's like people are going to get very confused. Interesting. 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 Um, this has a pretty wild cast, in my opinion. Um, we have Jamie Dornan in this, as well as Tina Fey. Of course, I mentioned Kenneth Branagh is reprising his role. Michelle Yeoh is in this. Um, Kyle Allen, Kelly Riley, Emma Laird. Uh, who am I forgetting? Oh, the uh, the boy from Belfast, too. Jude oh, Hill. yeah, it's a Belfast reunion, yeah. Yeah. Um, all in all, so I'll start off here. I was not a fan of the first two, um, that being a murder, murder on the Orient Express uh, or Death on a Nile. Uh, and I actually had a lot of fun with this one. It is pretty one note in a lot of ways, but I think that's what you come to expect from these. 
Um, the setting I thought was pretty solid and I thought that everyone acted really well in this. I did guess part of the ending, um, like what, like components of it. I guess we can talk about it. At this it point. was the ultimate anti red herring where it's like, yeah. I'm, I'm ticking down the list and I'm like, well, they've already like kind of checked off all of these red herrings. So yeah. it's like down to, so spoiler alert right now, but it drops right down to the, the mother. And it's just kind of like, that felt like a bit of a, for lack of a better word, like a stunt where I was just like, when, when they showcased it, I didn't predict it, but I was like, Oh yeah, no, of course we narrowed everyone else down. <laughs> I know. I thought she was involved. So that's one of the things I, I pegged from the beginning. I was like, she's involved somehow, but I can't explain how. And then I, the honey thing, I was like, Oh, the honey's involved somehow here too. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm, I don't know what I was going to say. I, I had something and I just lost it. So, well, um, keep going. <laughs> but all in all, I, I did have fun with this because the only thing that frustrated, two things frustrated me with this movie. One is that the accent work gets a little questionable as, as per usual um, to the point where I'm like, what did they just say? And I, you know, it's, that gets a little frustrating. I think that has to do with the sound mixing as well, because there was this um, sound design that was supposed to be very like, you know, uh, dark and menacing and all that um based on the setting of the of the the story itself of the film um the other thing is the the camera work there were some uh some shots some like zoom in shots and stuff that i really enjoyed until i didn't yeah um they became very overwhelming and were used too much to the point where i'm like this is starting to look a little choppy uh, but all in all, I did have a fun time with this because it was just a simple film. It's a simple whodunit. And I think that's why these are so popular. And I joked in the uh, the opening here, but this is definitely targeted at boomers who don't yeah. want to see superhero movies, don't want to see, uh, you know, some of the more, um, I was going to say exotic, but <laughs> the, uh, you know, the crazy films that are out there, like think of like the A24 films and stuff. Um, but this is just a safe whodunit mystery based on proven stories uh or, or successful stories with agatha christie and there's a whole lot more that they can do i was just reading an article before this where uh one of the producers on the first two films said there are conversations about where they go next but nothing set in stone yeah um and there's there's a lot that they can do and i think that we'll probably see them doing uh doing at least another one because like i said they're you know they bring a good cast together uh and they are proven to be successful well, the estate loves him. The estate loves mm -hmm. Kenneth Branagh, and they're like they they have a great relationship with him. Um, yeah, I I was a little bit more muted on this one, but I mm -hmm. did enjoy myself. Um, I will say, you know, yes, obviously after I never even saw the remake of uh, Murder in the Orient Express, I thought Death on the Nile was pretty rough, um, mm -hmm. and so I did enjoy this one probably the most of the Branas. Um, I always disagree with the way he plays the character because he's supposed to be really really goofy. Like, if you look at how uh, Albert Finney plays him or Peter Ustinov, he's supposed to be, like, a cartoon character. And that makes the serious moments that, uh, you know, Poirot has even, like, more earned and better. In this, he's just – yeah, he's a goofy character, obviously, but it's just not – like, it doesn't work the same way. This also had a lot of uh, Hound of the Baskervilles, where mm -hmm. it's like uh, the detective has to deal with Supernatural. And I was trying to look up when the two movies – or when the two uh, novels were made and to wonder, like, you know, hey, who, who copied from who or did Great Minds think alike? But I um, and I, I just think that like that and they have the same resolution to how that supernatural stuff works, which I guess is fine. But, you know, that he's going to come up with some sort of uh, solution to the supernatural. You know, that there's not actually ghosts in this movie. Um, and I think the acting I mean, the 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 most prominent actor that I liked, I think, was just Michelle Yeoh, which is an absolute shame in this movie, considering that uh, she's not in it long <laughs> exit presumed by bear. Yeah, she's uh, she's out pretty quick. And I, I think everyone else is just a little bit too turned up, which, once again, I just complained about the main character not, be turned, but not being turned up to in 11. But I think that, you know, Tina Fey, I love her. I absolutely love her. Woefully miscast in this. Oh, I totally disagree with that. Yeah? Yeah, I, here, here's why. And I wanted to bring this up. I Going into it, I was like, what is she doing in this movie? Like, this, this doesn't make any sense. But the character that she's playing is that American, like, yeah. you know, author. Who, and I think she plays it pretty well. And I thought that she was also a very good foil for some of Perot's, uh, you know, more, like, heady moments or whatnot. She kind of brought, it wasn't full comedy, but she did bring some levity to it. And I thought she did really well. Like, it made sense once I saw the movie. Yeah, I think this is probably one of those un very unfortunate things where I see a celebrity and I can't see past the celebrity, which is sometimes no fault to the performer. 
but I just couldn't really see past Tina Fey. And she was doing that interesting, like fast talking. I, I like, I like the, the, that dialect where, uh, you know, that almost didn't exist in real life, but existed on film, which I was just like, I'm here for that. I, I like <laughs> that. Um, I just, I also just didn't like that. She was a part of the revelation. Then there was another revelation. Then there was a third revelation at the there, very end. There was like a, a, a like, stack of revelations. And I was like, Oh, this is different. And then I thought about Jude, uh, Judah Hill. And I just think he, um, he, I think he aged out of the performance a little bit. I think that if he was his Belfast age, it, it would have like come off a little bit more menacing and creepy. And instead he's just like, he's kind of a teenager now. So I was just like, Oh, I don't know. They always have bad <laughs> attitudes. So I didn't really see anything like too like strange off of that. But uh, once again, through no fault of their own, Jamie Dornan, just a little bit off the wall. Um, just uh, once I guess that's what he's supposed to be doing. I was going to say, you're, you're, you're saying exactly I'm what they were supposed to be playing hypocrite i know but for some reason it just it didn't really fit the same way because well i'll say this michelle yo is playing sort of off the wall but i think she's playing for that setting and for that presence and i'm like oh she's a goofy character she's a silly character but she holds it back just enough that you know you're you're a little bit freaked out by the whole situation and it was just such a shame to see her go but um i I don't know. I, I, I like Kelly Riley as well. I do. Um, I don't think she was given much considering she's given the the lead revelation, but I, I, I don't know. There was just something about it where this was of the, of the casts. Well, no, actually death of the Nile is still the weakest and everything. Never mind. <laughs> but I was going to say it's still the bad worst one. See, I but, think this is the strongest cast. I, I, you know what? I have to say it is just because I haven't seen the murder on the Orient Express remake. So I declare that this is, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I might be being too harsh, and it might just be centered around that you know Brana's doing something very strange with Poirot. That you know, I I love to see just Finney being a goofball, and the, he's doing playing it more straight, which works, and and it does work in the ways where he's um, dealing with. And I like this. We don't have another film to compare this off of. I've seen the original Death on the Nile. I've seen the original Murder on the Orient Express. So of course I'm going to be, um, and this is going to be actually my rant, which once again is, is going to make me a hypocrite. So just I'm I'm full of hypocrisies today. But um, where like those are obviously these classics that you almost are are unimpeachable, and making new ones out of them are unspeakable. But he did something different with each of them, something somewhat different that probably couldn't be. I like that this was not an original work, but one that hasn't been adapted yet. So we don't have another film to go off of here. We can't like compare Tina Fey's performance to like Ingrid Bergman's performance or something. We can't really do that. So I think that was a clever idea and one I liked quite a bit. Also, thank you. Thank you so much in this movie. Thank you, Brana, for I know that it wasn't entirely filmed in Venice, but thank you for filming at least slightly on location and also using real animals when you wanted to use real animals. Because that was Death on the Nile when like the CGI crocodile eats the CGI pelican. At night in Egypt, and I was like, "Okay, there's I got nothing for you here, man." So the two big up upgrades are: thank God that there was real animals in real locations. I thought that bird was gonna play into it a little bit more, like was gonna reveal something. I mean, yeah, they had like a there was the rats coming out of the mouths, and I was like, "Okay, what's this mean?" Because in Death on the Nile, like one animal eating another one is kind of like a treachery bullshit thing. I don't know, but <laughs> like I, I in this one at the very least, like thank you for using real animals. I don't know if the budget slipped on Nile or something, but uh, it was nicer to just see like real stuff in the background of these. I also liked Kyle Allen in this. He played Maxime. He was the uh, ex fiance of uh, oh, yeah. the, the deceased. Um, and I was trying to remember why I had seen him in the news recently, and it's because he was attached to the Masters of the Universe movie oh. um, as He Man um for netflix but that movie's now dead at netflix apparently and they're mattel shopping it to other uh other places so he was so here's the example of he was kind of the perfect like you know the perfect level i want to see definitely a little bit devious definitely like not exactly in the most human of it while like not going way too overboard i i, I actually i will agree i kind of liked him a lot in this <laughs> oh my god you're cracking me up today. Um, <laughs> like I'm just waiting for myself to just com completely cancel it out at the end of this when I go after my rant. But <laughs> I did have uh, I did have fun with this, uh, and I gave it a four out of five. I yeah, I gave it a C, and I, it, it's a strong C. It really was. I did enjoy it quite a bit. I, as much as I'm saying negative things now, I like as a whole. There, like it's it's worth a watch. It really is. I I've recommended it to people. I've just said, hey, like for me, there's a lot of flaws that are tough for me. Um. I can accept that. I, can, I accept you for all of your hypocrisies. All right, let's yes. dive into the news. The biggest news as we're recording this on Monday morning uh, is that there is a tentative deal to end the writer's strike. 
Uh, and I would presume that the SAG-AFTRA uh, uh, deal is going to be coming shortly. They'll probably get back to the table with um, some of this as the background. Um, but they there was a joint statement released that said they reached a tentative agreement um, uh, in principle on all the deal points. Of course, they have to go through the, fi uh, the finer uh uh, they have to dot the I's, cross the T's, make sure all the language is accurate. Um, and uh, but that's that's hey, exciting. Um, it sounds like the big four, led by um, Bob Iger and all, were at the table uh, for most of it, which is kind of you know, I, I, to me that's a little uh, that's encouraging. I'd rather yeah. them be there than um, you know having all the in betweens. Um, so we'll see kind of how this how this. Oh, unfolds. I said folds out. How this unfolds? That folds out works. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, this is an incredibly positive moment. Um, the, like, to clear, the writers have announced, like, hey, we're not going to work yet. We are right now. Like, the strike is over. Um, we are going to like we're going to wait until the guild tells us when to work. So right now we are joining the actors on the picket lines. That's their official stance right now. So there may be some solidarity here where they don't exactly go back to work yet, but there's a chance they will start to go back to work. And even if the actors cannot, you know, work with them just yet. You know, the writers are the foundation of the house and then, you know, the actors will be the flourishing at the end. So, you know, to oversimplify it, they could start creating what they need to create, you know, almost without the actors at times. And then the actors are eventually going to be needed, which that is a bridge we'll cross when we get to it. But like you said, I think it's going to be something where, you know, it's interesting because the DGA, <laughs> they they had their uh, quick uh, like the, the, theirs was not a uh, not an arduous process. They're uh, reassigning or uh, what have you, um, renegotiations. Um, and so, like everyone thought, oh, once the DGA uh, get, makes their deal, the writers will definitely go. Well, that was like five, like close to like three or four months ago. So yeah. obviously, that wasn't the case for that. But I think these are the two most famous strikes, and so I think that those will go the best. And yeah, so I think that hopefully we're going to be seeing something pretty soon. I think there's a good positive momentum, um, but uh, you know. We'll see. It didn't. It seemed like the writers were doing a lot better over the past week or two, and the actors have not had that same. They're not even at the table. Yeah, they're not even at the table yet. So that, but you know, once again, it, it is a lot of negotiating tactics. I mean, like the I love that you know a couple of days ago the the uh, the AMTPT said like you know this is our final offer. I'm like. Well, what if they refuse it? Are you just not going to make movies anymore? Like you freaking idiots! That's your final offer, really? Like, come yeah, on. I I read on Deadline uh, that the I think it was AM, AMPTP or whoever had said that that was unfortunate language that was used, um, and it's like standard standard <laughs> bargaining. But five months of unfortunate language from them. <laughs> I know, I but I posted that too. I'm like, okay, what what does this mean? Final? Like, oh, we're we're just not going to make a deal now. <laughs> Oh, man, well, it's it good is. to know that the writers are being paid. The writers are being appreciated. Um, the actors, it will happen soon, um, mainly because, you know, unfortunately, the writers are, they shouldn't be, but they are less popular. They're not in front of the camera. So we still see more and more actors picketing, you know, that may not need this as much as the other, like the most important, like, you know, uh, actors that we see that we barely notice on the screen. And, yeah. uh, you know, but like Brian Cranston will be out there and we'll notice him. And so more and more famous people will be showing up for SAG-AFTRA. And that's going to be a public pressure that they, the studios can't really ignore. What was the Brian Cranston meme I saw last night? It was really <laughs> funny. It was something about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey dating. Gee, well, that that was a lot of pop culture in one sentence. What was the <laughs> Brian Cranston meme? Had to I can't remember. No, it was a Brian Cranston meme about them them so, dating so i'm slightly off on the uh the the kelsey and swift dating and i started watching the documentary kelsey uh -huh. and i got nervous that i was like wait a minute like this guy's got a wife and a kid and stuff like that and a couple of kids that he <laughs> wrong kelsey and then, and then like uh, thankfully like my lovely sister comments on it, it's like oh does this include travis kelsey did it? okay good travis is the one that did because i was just like did jason leave for taylor <laughs> that's gonna be a tough look and oh no that God. was not the case I'm, I'm very happy they're a very loving family and they still are they are. That's a great, uh, great. Uh, I'm gonna say it's podcast. A great, <laughs> they do have a great podcast. They do have a great a, podcast too. Yeah. That is a great tra uh, trailer. Jesus Christ, documentary. Documentary. Um. All right. Well, let's hope that SAG after gets back to the table and that that ends soon. Um. But Sean, when we first made this outline uh, a week and a half ago, <laughs> you put Barbie original screenplay and in parentheses put in caps. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, explain. Well, this is, I mean, this is your bread and butter. You absolutely love this because one of the adapted screenplay rules you hate more than anything oh, is the based on a character's clause. 
And so Barbie was originally going to be an adapted screenplay nominee or like going to be like brought to the table at the Oscars as an adapted screenplay nominee. They have a recently filed for um, original screenplay. Uh, yes, that too. Uh, they, they're campaigning under original screenplay now, which I wasn't aware that was something you could do to quote King George II. Um, and I, I like, I kind of like thought that like there were strict rules with this. And I thought that based on the uh, characters, like what meant Barbie is, I and I, I'm torn with this because I, I do love your theory about this, and I don't think like Barbie is an original screenplay. It is. It just is. It's like an original idea based on like this toy, but it still doesn't exist without the name of the toy and the ideals of the toy and a lot of the characters behind the toy. So this felt like a very strange thing that you could just do. And I don't know if like you know there's a there's a ref coming in with a red flag or something, but um, it seems like this is just they're just gonna let this happen and. On, on some ways, I am cool with it because, like I just said, it is an original screenplay, but it also just is based on these characters, and it's just like really, really based on these characters. So it's such a tricky move, in my opinion. But you know, yeah, but it's not an adapted screenplay. I mean, like when it's you not look based at on a me- par- article from a medium. Yeah, when you look at the adapted screenplay, like the the title of that category, you're looking at like, did you adapt the story from something? Yeah. And they didn't adapt the story. They incorporated the characters, but didn't adapt the story. Um, and that I, I just I fucking hate that category. <laughs> I it's such a it's such a tricky one because on on like one hand I really do agree with you, and then on the other hand I'm like, well I don't know, man. I mean Top Gun Maverick wouldn't have existed without Top Gun, and I do really like. There's something to that where it's like it feels like an adapted screenplay just based on those characters and. No, the, it's a the, sequel. That's the, not an adapted screenplay. It's a sequel. It's based on those characters. It's based. No, on you the, incorporate the characters into the story. You created Top Gun a never would exist without Top Gun. It like, doesn't matter. The like, characters wouldn't exist. But you're building on that story. You're not adapting the story. To me, if you're taking the story from something, like you're reinventing it or you're doing something with the original story. This, you're, well, and yeah, I'm foot and mouth there. You're continuing the story. That's not yeah. adapting the original story. God, that's frustrating. <laughs> End of podcast. Okay. All right. Uh, the other big move, which we don't have in the outline, but was a huge move in my opinion, was Lily Gladstone is now campaigning in Best Lead Actress. Best Lead Actress instead of Best Supporting. However, she posted something online and said something like, don't believe headlines or something. And people oh, were questioning Jesus. what that means. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I didn't know about that. So now that's torn. Well, because it's always interesting who decides what to do with this. Because sometimes it's studios. Um, sometimes like because like a lot of studios are really into Oscar campaigning and they know how to do it. And so they looked at the strategy here, which the strategy is that she would win the award if she was in Best Supporting Actress. And like it would just like she's still going to get nominated in Best Lead Actress. But that is a much more competitive category this year. So this is very Michelle Williams where like, I mean, Michelle <laughs> Williams, once again, she got a nomination for The Fablements. She got there, but she was going to win. For best supporting actress like just she was going to win like easily it would have been a slam dunk campaign easy now you watch the fablemans and you're like which one should she have gone and it was honestly right on the line where you could make a case for either category like was she a lead and was she a supporting i've heard that gladstone is the same way where you could make a case for her being a lead role or a supporting role um and so category fraud can't really exist in either way um you know um sam made a good point does it look better to have a nomination for best actress in like a prestige film instead of best supporting actress? It kind of does look good or better to have look good or Jesus uh, look better to have a best actress and a best uh, actor lead roles like on there. It does look better on like a, any sort of like, yeah. you know, marquee poster or whatever. Um, but this is like a very interesting move, a very strange move. I mean, she, it will be the first time that someone of uh, that descent is uh, literally in uh, nominated. So this, this could go very well, um, and really, it's not that she can't win now. Truly, it's not that she can't win. Like, I'm looking at the best actress, and there's not exactly a frontrunner there. I mean, Annette Benning with Nyad kind of got squashed. It didn't really get the huge reception at the festivals. In fact, Jodie Foster got more, more popularity, which is kind of a bummer for her. Um, but, so, who knows? She could be walking away with an Oscar anyway. Um, I just... Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting move when, you know, once again, I, I commend it. I do almost commend it because it's like, you know, she could have just easily walked away with this and best supporting actress. But yeah. and 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 maybe she really does belong in lead. And there's people that are out there that always bring back the Anthony Hopkins thing. And I always say it. 
Anthony Hopkins was the lead role of the Silence of the Lambs. I don't care if his screen time was 20 minutes. He was the lead role of that movie. He was the iconic character that looked over that whole movie. His screen time is presented in a way where he is the main character. And so people fight me on that one, but like I, he, he is a lead, and that wasn't just to get the five prestige. Well, maybe. I think what really frustrates me about the Oscars is that there is no – like the guidelines are so wishy-washy. And there's a lot that's up for interpretation. And that's really frustrating when you're trying to look at like trying to put any sort of uh, prestige behind a lot of this, because I don't know. I think it's, I, I, yeah. And like, I, I agree. I want there to be some sort of rule so that we don't have to have this debate all the time, but I don't know what that rule would look like. Cause if they had that rule with the silence of the lambs and Anthony Hopkins, he would have been put in supporting character. Like if they had a screen time rule or something like that, he would have easily been put in supporting character. And I, to my core, I think of him as a lead in that movie. Yeah. And so it's, it's so tough. Do you just judge it on like, you know, cultural impact points? And like, so it's like, it's such a tricky move. Um, but yeah, I, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen this movie, so I don't know what she is. Uh, she is really a lead character. She very well might be. I mean, she's definitely the lead female role in this. So yeah. for that alone, um, I'm, I'm I'm just interested to see how this will be received and how this goes with the uh, with the strategy. I mean, like Emma Stone was probably the front runner with Poor Things, and you know now she's already got a trophy. And Poor Things does look pretty damn good, though. So it's going to be tricky. One movie that definitely didn't make it to the Oscars uh, last year is uh, Moonfall, and uh, the story that came out is that Neil deGrasse Neil deGrasse Tyson was on a podcast called. Uh, the Jess Cagle show promoting his book to infinity and beyond. And they said, they asked him Armageddon, you say violates more laws of physics per minute than any other film ever made. Mm-hmm. And Degrassi Tyson agreed adding, that's what I thought until I saw Moonfall. Okay, it was good. a, it was a pandemic film that came out, you know, Halle, Be- Halle Berry and the moon is approaching earth. And they learned that it's hollow and there's a moon being made out of rocks living inside of it. And the Apollo missions were really to visit, to feed the moon being. And I just couldn't. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm very happy. Like, why would he see that movie? Like, why would he go see that movie? Like, that's the one thing. It's just like, you know, you're going to get pissed off. And he, he mentioned like the ridiculous stuff. I'm the one that like looks at it being like, you know, if the moon approached that close, the gravitational pull would have been off by a lot. That's more Neil deGrasse Tyson stuff. Like he was focusing on the dumb stuff, like the, the rock monsters and stuff. But Oh God, that just to remember that movie, just great times. Oh my God. It just cracks me up. Um, Moonfall was shit. All right, let's get to our question of the week. What do we have, Sean? So what we have right here is well, we've already like uh, seeped through a few of these, I think. Um, <laughs> but uh, this one is uh, from uh, Scassus Who, who gave us quite a few of them uh, recently. So we have them on the list. Um, and this is biggest unpopular opinion. Well, we we kind of had yours already, but I don't know if you want to throw another one there. Uh, I have a lot of unpopular you have opinions. A lot of unpopular do not <laughs> silo me. Um, I uh, my unpopular opinion, but it's also based in fact, is that Zack Snyder was very successful for DC. Um, I, I I've been working. I pulled a lot of the data a while ago because I was putting together an article for GuyAtTheMovies.com. Um, but Zack Snyder's films were actually very profitable and were making good money. And it was just the fact that they were like rushing into this, trying to build like an MCU equivalent with DC that really screwed stuff up. So they listened a lot to you know the poor reception that uh, Batman versus Superman got. Um, which I love Batman or Superman, obviously, but uh, they listened to the poor reception there, but it was financially very successful. Um, and recently David Escoria came out and was talking about, uh, I think he was on a podcast or something, but he was talking about that time with um, the uh, early DC DCEU movies. Um, and basically he was saying that they were like, the studio was really rushing and was really trying to establish its equivalent to the MCU. And I've said this before, but like you, you brought Zack Snyder in to build that. And then you kind of railroaded them when um, you, when you felt like you needed to, but I, I really wonder what we would have seen today if they would have allowed him to continue. Um, and uh, you know, I'm sure that he wouldn't have, he would have taken some cues from what was working, what wasn't working. Um, but if they would have at least stayed on that path, I wonder what DC would look like today. It's one of the most fascinating Hollywood, uh, Hollywood what ifs. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what Netflix turns out with Rebel Moon. Like, will this open up something big with a franchise? Because if, if there's one thing that Netflix likes to do, it's take just one traditional idea and branch it out to 18 other things. And so, I mean, it, it seems like with that trailer going every which way, it has that potential. And so yeah. I'm 
like it'll be interesting that'll be the that'll be our answer a slight answer to the what if that we yeah. may get um I, I'm going to go with an interesting – we've talked a lot of Oscars here, but I want to do one interesting uh, Oscar um, most popular – most unpopular take. Um, and uh, this is one that everybody hates, and I mean everyone hates this. Um, and so I – but I firmly believe in this because there are two different awards, Best Picture and Best Director. And Best Director goes to the Best Directing Job. It goes to, like, a, the film that, like, is the top of the list in quality. Best Picture is slightly different. Um, now don't get me wrong. Best picture still has to be exceptional in quality. It does. And there's no, there's no, there's no easy way to merit that, but it also is voted on, on the Academy by everybody, like not just a certain branch. And so therefore it does also need to continue to make sure it reaches out with a populist appeal. And so best picture, as some people don't realize when like, Hey, that wasn't my number one film. That should be best. That should be best picture. I'm like, first of all, Everyone's number one film is different, so you can't really judge on that kind of a subjective basis. But regardless of that, regardless of that, there's a reason that the Best Picture Award goes to the producers. And it's because, yes, they, have a t- they take part in making that movie, but they also help pipeline that movie into the cultural zeitgeist at that time. So we may disagree with a certain Best Picture at the time. We may look back and disagree with a certain Best Picture at a certain time. And they're like, what the hell were we thinking then? But that was what the pop culture was at the time. So I have a whole like academy like thing of like, you know, what the Oscars got wrong, which is like tremendous bullshit on this whole thing. But, you know, I do still think like they still get something right. The biggest example of this is La La Land versus Moonlight. And then I'll be done. I promise. No, <laughs> you're on an Oscar tear today and I love it. So with, with Moonlight, I personally think Moonlight's a better movie than uh, La La Land. I like Moonlight better. I think it's like, you know, if we were to judge movies on rubrics, we shouldn't. But if we were to, I think Moonlight gets the higher score on a rubric stand. I like the idea of La La Land winning Best Picture, though, and Moonlight winning Best Director. Both exceptional films, both directed extremely well. But I think that La La Land captured something big in the old Hollywood and ends up like with a huge splash that connected a lot of people back to the movies that year. Um, so I, the, the best picture is just so much more complicated than the best film of the year. I know that that's what it's supposed to be. And like, people get mad at me because they're like, it's literally called best picture, Sean, what the hell are you talking about? It's like, no, I know. Trust me. But I think it should be more complicated. Best director d- director is more for the quality. Best picture is more for a cultural appeal that like we never really forget about. So that's my way, wishy-washy way of, um, you know, this argument that no one likes, but I always try to say, <laughs> Yeah, man, we're getting into Oscar season, aren't we? Oh, buddy, oh, buddy, we're the. I, I could have gone longer, and I cut myself off with the. Best, <laughs> I, I could have started listing best actress prospects, but I knew that there wouldn't be a good idea. Oh my gosh! Um, all right, well, I don't know if that's an unpopular opinion. I think it's just you know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, I, I've, I've said that opinion many times online, and I've gotten very unpopular comments. <laughs> so, so I think it might be a little, like people get mad at that. Um, Sean, you want a little bit of breaking news? Let's get some breaking news. Dun, dun, dun. Didn't we have the, a graphic for this usually? Uh, it's there somewhere. Uh, the yeah. Office. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I didn't hear about this. Is reportedly being rebooted with the original showrunner, Greg Daniels, attached. There's really no details, it looks like, um, but uh, yeah, that's happening. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm I'm completely unexcited for this. I think it'll be shit. I think that we like, you know, I I really do. Unfortunately, like they they try to bring back all of these different types of shows. None of them have ever really succeeded. Frasier is one of my favorite comedies growing up, and I'm not even like interested in the slightest. That tracks. That, that really tracks. Like, I'm so, it does a <laughs> imagine like a ten year old me turning to my parents. It's funny because it's true. <laughs> I 100% can see that happening. <laughs> I, I said that without a tinge of irony, by the way. Oh, it's I know. Really <laughs> and you start laughing. I'm like, what's he laughing at? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Damn it. Um, um, no, I agree. I wonder like, if this is a reboot with different characters. I feel like it has to be. With um, They'll probably bring some others back. Like I'm thinking more like um, that 90s show, how they're doing that on Netflix, and just bringing some of the characters that aren't in jail for 30 years of life. Um 
Or the ones that are defending the one that's in jail for 30 years. <laughs> for 30 years. <laughs> I think the second season of that's going to look very different. It's going to be rough. <laughs> it's going to be those parents. That's it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right. Let's get into rants and raves here. Uh, my rant, my first one, is, my first rant uh, is uh, streaming services raising prices. It's getting yeah, really freaking out bad. of control now. It's really bad. Because all of them in the past couple of months have announced uh, height, height rates, <laughs> price increases, um, and are hiking prices up. I think that's what I was looking for. I don't know. Well, did it work? It worked. Um, sure. Anyway, uh, and it's, you know, it's funny because people talk about like cord cutting and stuff. And over the years, there's been that like groveling of, oh, well, you know, and now it's getting to be just as expensive as cable. Well, it really is starting to get there. Yep. Um, and you actually don't have the all the benefits of cable because you're not getting like the live TV and stuff. Um, and if you're a sports fan, that creates a lot of challenges as well. Um, so it's just really like I'm trying to figure out where I want to go in the future with all this. Um, and I have always been one where I was like, oh, it's, you know, a couple dollars a month. It's not bad. I'll just keep all my streaming services. But now I'm like really looking at it like, which ones do I not use? Which yeah. ones do I not watch? And um, honestly, I realized this recently. Netflix is the one I don't watch anymore as much. Well, right now, um, I have like shows active on all of them. And that's like, hey, that's no what? That is yeah, exactly. news. <laughs> I will say there is not a single show right now active on Max for me. Oh, and, on Max. On Max. And mm. I'm going to keep Max for its classic movie library. Unless they sell TCM, then it's like, good luck to you guys. That's going to be it. And so I, um, yeah, I, I don't know what to do with this information, except for I know what's going <laughs> to eventually happen. <laughs> I, I truly don't know how to like explain. I will say the only thing I can justify with it is that I might be paying as much for it as I did when I had cable, but I never really used all of my cable i really do use the majority of my streaming and once again that's just me talking like when the little human comes i think i'll be using less so we'll see a lot how more disney works. plus coming your way yeah. oh well hey that one's there for me and i'll just keep enjoying my ahsoka um but it sounds like a drug if you don't know what ahsoka is I'll can we talk about ahsoka real quick by the way i love that last episode it's great it was oh my great. god this and series so, is phenomenal it's so i i'm still like i just want to be in your freaking head dude like with because like you you haven't seen Rebels and like Ezra shows up at the end of this last episode and it's really awesome and it's like oh, kind oh of like, Jesus you mean Jesus exactly exactly <laughs> he's a he's a little boy with no beard in the show and this he's he's looking good I mean you know like God bless me and everything like that but he is looking good like that beard I, game is tight for him I like that he was like uh, what did he say like um, I'm glad that it worked or something it did work didn't it and Sabine's like ah talk it's like, it's like, well it did at the time but, yeah, yeah. well you may have wasted the past 20 years so yeah. uh, get ready a bit of problem i think ready. someone like had like a on a uh, one of the podcasts they just said like a real comedic edit where i hope the next episode she explains it and it's just a wide shot and then you hear him go you did what <laughs> <laughs> um i posted this the other day because i thought this was pretty fascinating but i was um looking at uh an article sorry we're uh, this is a little bit of a side note um <laughs> but i was looking at an article about uh Oh God, the Taika Waititi um, news that he's that his movie's dead at Star Wars, and at the time that was uh, what a week ago I posted this. Um, Gareth Edwards, Phil Lord, and Chris Miller, Colin Trevorrow, David uh, Benoff, and DB Weiss, uh, Patty Jenkins, and now Taika Waititi um, all losing their projects at Star Wars. And I like made the case and made an argument that it was a Kathleen Kennedy issue and it continues to be when it comes to the films. And then the news came out uh, earlier this week that Guillermo del Toro and David S. Goyer had a movie in the works that got killed in 2019. They're big fucking names to lose, the, for Lucasfilm to lose. And I just, I like, you know, one of them I can see being an issue. All of these filmmakers being scrapped, their projects being scrapped, they have no idea what they're doing with Star Wars. Honestly, they, they they saw shit like what happened with um, you know, uh, what was it? Uh the Rise of Skywalker. They saw what happened with Rogue One, where and they saw what happened with Solo, where the studio interfered with the filmmakers. And so, like at that point, they see that kind of stuff. Addendum to that though, some of them signed on after those things happened. But I think that they realized that those same things were happening and they like there were signs of those happening. So a lot of them might have walked away on their own. A lot of them were like some some were fired due to like maybe the directors holding their grounds in those disagreements. Creative differences. Yeah, creative differences is like a very common thing which could go either way. And so it's like, how do you fuck up Star Wars movies? I get like, I don't know, man. It's like it's like the, 
the last one brought in cash. I mean, the last one was also made in 2019, but yeah. the last one did bring in cash. And it's it's just so strange to me that, oh, man, I don't know. I just don't understand how Kathleen Kennedy still has a job because um, she's doing shit when it comes to this. I mean, the TV yeah. is really saving Star Wars right now. But all right, Sean, back to rants and raves. You, your rant here. So my rant is uh, me kicking myself from before where uh, my rant is latency bias because I find myself always reviewing a lot of classic movies. And, um, you know, I like, for instance, I remade or remade. <laughs> I uh, reviewed for the first time ever The Karate Kid, which I've never seen. And I did give it a B. Now, thankfully, there wasn't a lot of pushback, but I had this fear of pushback in my head that I'm pressured to give something like a classic like The Karate Kid an A. But I noticed like little issues I had with it here and there. And I was like, do I ignore these issues and just give it that A that everyone wants it to have? But or do I like actually put them in there? Now, thankfully, I didn't receive too too much of a negative slap from people like when I give the Karate Kid a B, which still pretty awesome film, pretty solid sports classic. But, you know, just like very, very one dimensional villains that do just genuinely suck, like just <laughs> aren't good. And so, I mean, so I guess my weird criticism is in my own head. But it does like come around where like I'll I'll review something that's like this all time classic. And most of the time I will agree. Most of the time I'm like, yes, I see this as an all time classic as well. But there's a few times where I won't. I mean, just recently I re uh, reviewed uh, Desperately Seeking Susan, which is like a very like solid classic. I did not like it at all. And so I gave it a D and, you know, I got a little bit of negative pushback, but not too bad. Um, you know, Shall We Dance, which isn't considered a classic. It was made in the early aughts. But still like that one, a lot of people were a little bit pissed off that I gave that a C. And I think that, like, I don't know, latency bias is a part of that. And granted, I'm watching these movies in a different time where, like, Shelby Dance has a lot of very poorly aged jokes that, you know, aren't, like, like the, the most offensive things you'll ever see, but are mean-spirited enough that they just, like, kind of bother a 2023 me. So that's not fair <laughs> on the movie either. But I think that latency bias is something that gets very tricky. And I think if people revisit films now, like, like I'm never going to watch Con Air again. As a, as a critic, I can't because I'll like I'll I'll hate it, but I, it is one of my favorite movies. I love that movie so much. So <laughs> it's a very Aquamanish uh, conflict I have. But uh, yeah, so that's Aquamanish uh, conflict. Aquamanish conflict. I'm keeping it. That, that's going to be my new uh, adverb uh, and the title of this episode, likely. Yes. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, let's talk rants here. Uh, I mean raves. Uh, last week on the plane, I watched a little film that is perfect for a plane called The Lobster from Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, I had never seen this, and I was. Intrigued. I was very wondering what your what your take out was on this was going to be, which I still didn't know after you told me about it. I enjoyed it. I actually had a good time with it. Um, it's you know, I at the end of the day, I like it's one of those films where I I'm like, what are you supposed to take from this? And is it more just like pondering, you know, life and stuff like that? But um, I thought Colin Farrell was really good in this. Raquel Weiss was really good in this. Olivia Coleman uh, was the hotel manager in this. Um, John C. Riley's in this. Like it's just. It, it, it's a really weird premise, obviously, um, but uh, I, I don't know. It was There's something about it that just was really uh, tantalizing. <laughs> like, I just, I couldn't turn away. You know, most people were introduced to Yorgos Lanthimos in The Favorite, where mm -hmm. he had, like, a, quite a career of films before that. But all of them are just, like, these very subtle movies, mm -hmm. very strange movies, and then disturbing without being the usual disturbing. Like in, in The Lobster, there's a couple of violent scenes. There's a couple of like fucked up scenes. But for the most part, it's disturbing for the setting that you're in. Um, Dogtooth is the same way. Uh, the, the killing of a sacred deer is also like a premise that's incredibly fucked up. And so all of these have these really fucked up premises without ever like, you know, with the occasional showing like something really horrific in the movie without ever like really messing with you. And so I'm very curious to see what poor things turns out to be. Yeah, me too. Me too. But uh, all in all, enjoyed it. So I quickly switched mine because I remember that I wanted to put this in, on for a uh, rave um, because I talked about it in the last podcast without mm -hmm. actually like I was I didn't finish it. I'll now say that I finished it and it is that freaking amazing. This is a movie from 2014 called Pride. Um, this is a movie about uh, UK gay activists that worked to help the coal miners in the 80s with their strike. Um, and obviously you could see that's going to be rife with conflict as, you know, coal miners in the 80s most likely weren't exactly too friendly right. to the gay community. Um, and it's weird because th that conflict exists. That conflict is there. But it's not there in like the entire film. A lot of people get over it pretty quickly. Some people it doesn't bother at all. And they just like form a union right away. And they have like an amazing community right away. Um, this film had me in tears at many moments, especially in the end. Because um, I always like, I, I, I think I joked about this in the uh, beginning. I was like, 
boy, uh, the title cards uh, hopefully will give me something very different. I don't want to look <laughs> at the true story. And based on the title cards, there's some great stuff in there that really works. Um, Bill Nighy's in this. Melda Staunton, Dominic West, Patty Considine, um, uh, Ben Schnetzer, who I never heard of, but is exceptional. And he's like the lead role. And I've never heard of him before, but he's really good. You got George McKay in there. Um, and I believe that – oh, and Andrew Scott, of course. Um there is some just amazing stuff in this movie. It's heartachingly beautiful, amazingly performed. It got a Golden Globe nominee for Best Comedy, which I huh. guess it fits there. Um, I you know it was marketed as that, so that's what it's going to like be given as. And it is a comedy in some respects, um, but it's a beautiful film. And not that like there's not oppression that's like outright shown. There is, of course, there is, but it's just never like dominating the plot. And I think that's something that you rarely see nowadays or even back then when movies are made. It's always about oppression, which, once again, very important. A very important story to tell about oppression and everything. But even more important is something like this where you actually like feel some hope at the very end. I still have not looked at Wikipedia to see if like some of this stuff isn't true. I don't care. It's too, no- it's too lovely and wholesome of a story. Like that I'm, I'm just going to tr- truly believe that this is the truth and this is how it happened. But, uh, you know, and you get the frustrating moments that you're upset about from, like, uh, homophobia and stuff. And, unfortunately, that does drive the third act. Um, and I say, unfortunately, in the sad way the true story probably went. Yeah. Not in the, like, annoying way that, unfortunately, homophobia is in this movie. But it, And it is it, it's expressed in this movie very solidly. And it's one of those shout-at-the-screen movies where I get so angry that I'm, like, I want to shout at the screen. that like, you know, it looks like, you're being idiots! And then uh, <laughs> I'm, like... But it's it's still like when it comes down to it, it's it's quite. I, I love this. I put it on my uh, watch list. That you made fun of me for this because like, oh, you put everything on your watch list. Pretty close. Um, but I did remember hearing about this movie when it came out, and obviously it just came and went. But I w- I was I was floored by this movie, and I'm mainly saying it a lot right now is because I think you will adore this movie unbelievably. So this will be one of your top. So I definitely recommend you read it. Or you I read definitely it. is that Max. That is unfortunately on this um, conglomerate. Oh, Showtime. Yeah, my my prime video is a conglomeration of like Showtime stars. Uh, I think Paramount's in there. So unfortunately, Prime Video. When I go to Prime Video to like stream stuff, it's like there's like my watch list is ten times longer because it's just all of the movies from all the streaming. But <laughs> this one is specifically uh, Showtime. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, I'll definitely check that out. I'll add it to my list, Sean. Hey. Um, before we get going, hopefully next week, by the time we record, uh, we'll have a deal with the M- the, w- the MGA, the WGA uh, finalized. Uh, but one of the pieces of news that I'm reading right now is that uh, it's reported that WGA made clear that they would not be going back to work until SAG after also had a new agreement. Oh, that's uh, the, so that is an official word now. That's that's going to be interesting. So that will be um, hey, good for them. Use that leverage. So yeah. we'll we'll see what happens. Um, this week, the creator, Paul Patrol, the Mighty Movie, Saul X, uh, they hit theaters. Dick's the Musical hits limited theaters. Florian Sun hits Apple TV Plus, and the wonderful story of Henry Sugar hits Netflix. Um, so that should be happening. Uh, I will say and- you may be hearing the name Flora and Son and not recognizing it. Just so you know, that is the movie that was made by the people that made Sing Street, a movie that every single human being on the planet loves. <laughs> and so this is another movie from them. So make sure you check this one out as well, um, because it looks just amazing. Are they paying you? No, but I just want to make sure because like people like they, like everybody adored Sing Street. People that like don't normally watch movies adored Sing Street. And then I just feel bad like Flora and Son, their, their ads should be like, did you like like don't, don't even show the movie like did you like sing street watch this movie because i mean they may not be the same kind of movie but i just think that like if they knew if more people knew that it would be yeah. more watched you should market movies for these studios I, <laughs> i'm probably a bad face for that <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say your face <laughs> frazier <laughs> 10 year old frazier in the 90s <laughs> all right sean we'll talk next week the Guy at the Movies podcast is a joint venture between Math Teacher Movies and Guy at the Movies. You can catch new episodes weekly right here wherever you're listening to this one. Subscribe so you never miss a beat.